Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, you're not going to give me no grace and peace? All right. All right. That's good. Last week, I preached a message called Shameless About Grace. And in it, I talked about how Christians often only talk about the saving grace of God. When the Bible actually uses the word in a much more dynamic fashion. And so I talked about three broad ways in which the Bible uses the word grace. Talked about, number one, saving grace. Number two, empowering grace. And number three, maturing grace. And I talked about how the religious spirit is always making our Christian life heavy. Trying to put burdens upon us. A performance-oriented mentality upon us. Is the compressor on? It don't sound like it's on. All right. All right. Hallelujah. Focus. All right. Back to the message. The religious spirit tries to get us into a performance-oriented mentality. A appearance-oriented Christianity. And the religious spirit is all about appearance. So it comes up with all these rules about hair, hairstyle, clothing, forcing the girls to sit separately from the guys. Some people think that because New Philly has a dating protocol, that we are strict, that we might be even religious. But how many of y'all know the dating protocol was implemented not to be more strict, but so that people can feel more free. And all the leaders said, This is not a dating policy. It's just a dating protocol. It is a protocol that spells out the wisdom of God in approaching romance. Because how many of y'all know our young people are not figuring it out with the wisdom of God right now? Let's just be real. Look back on your own Christian romance and see how you've been doing. We need, we need accountability. We need covering for these dating relationships so that people can explore marriage much more quickly without the foolishness, without the immorality that is often accompanied with dating that has no covering or accountability. So New Philly is not religious. If a person thinks about it, New Philly is actually a place of freedom. It's a place where we really keep people moving along. And if a person thinks New Philly is religious, that's because they lack discernment. Or they probably just don't want to obey the word of God. And so whenever they come to New Philly, they're just going to feel uncomfortable. Because here, we exalt the word of God. We seek to obey the word of God. Amen? It's about the glory of God. It's about his honor. We're not playing Christianity here. Days of cultural Christianity are over. I declare right now, the days of cultural Christianity are behind us. God is pouring out a spirit right now, and he's raising up a new standard. The Christian life is not meant to be heavy and strict. That's what I talked about last week. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Yeah, there might be hardships and persecutions, but they are momentary compared to the entire Christian life. Yes. 
The Christian life is one that is to be marked by God's grace. The Christian life is meant to flow like oil. And that's why I talked about how we need to be shameless consumers of God's grace. Too many people, they try to live their lives on hard work and diligence alone. With only sprinkles of God's grace. I don't know about you, but I don't want sprinkles of God's grace. I want the whole frosting. I want the inside. I want it all. (laughs) Abundant life can only be experienced when there is both diligence and grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. When there is obedience and favor, hard work and God's goodness. The Apostle Paul said, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says, God's grace is within me, and, but I worked harder than all the other apostles. But even the hard work that I put in, it wasn't just me. It was God's grace that was at work in me. That's the attitude that we need to have toward a Christian life. One that is a combination of both diligence and grace. Amen? Amen. You know, last week I also um, forgot a pretty important point. Why don't you turn to Romans 6? This is still not today's message. This is from last week. But I do want to mention this because it's very important. It's something that a lot of people ask. Romans 6, look at verses 1 through 5. Let me kill that IAC. Kill that. Romans 6, verses 1 through 5. And now one common concern when preachers talk about grace is, when grace, when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then people say, well, if my sin is bringing, God's, bringing about God's glory through an outpouring of God's grace, then maybe we should sin more so that grace would abound. So people ask, is God's grace a license to sin? And this is Paul's answer. Romans 6, verse 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All the people who got baptized a couple weeks ago. Listen. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection life like his. In a resurrection like his. Is grace a license to sin? Apostle Paul says, nah. How can you do that? How can you even think that? When through Christ and through baptism, you have died to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a doorway into the new life and our momentum toward maturity. I'm going to say that again because I made that up and that's real good. Grace is not a license to sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Yes, that's true. But grace is not 
a license to sin. It is rather our doorway and our very momentum toward Christian maturity, toward living the resurrection, being identified and living in the resurrection of Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we shall also be raised with him. Now, so last week I talked about this message, Shameless About Grace. We got to be shameless about grace. You know, there used to be a youth group song that I grew up singing. It went like this. Grace, grace. Uh, I might be hitting the wrong tone here. Wrong key. Anyway, it don't matter. Grace, grace. Lord, I thank you for grace. Keep it coming. Uh. You guys know that song? Y'all pagan backgrounds. Look at all these... All these people would then go to youth group. It's not my fault you don't know the song. You guys should know these songs. Grace. Maybe I'm singing the wrong key. Grace, grace, Lord, I thank you for grace. Keep it coming. Uh. Anyway, that's got to be our attitude. We've got to say, Lord, I, I thank you for grace. I need you to keep that coming. I need your grace to live out this Christian life. I don't need your grace just only for me to be saved and forgiven of my sin. I need your grace every day. I need your grace to finish the assignment you gave me. I need your grace to figure out what the assignment is. I need your grace to relate to the people who you sent to do the assignment with. The fellow Emmaus staff that is irking me every time we sit through a staff meeting. I need your grace to love on them. That little New Zealand, little, little New Zealand, the youngest member on the staff who thinks he's all that. But when it comes down to it, we need to love on him. We need your grace to love on him, Lord. You need grace. So today's message goes like this. If we are liberal consumers of God's grace, you know what needs to happen, right? If you humble yourselves and you're continually in your Christian life, you're asking for God's grace and you're receiving that grace and you're thanking God for that grace. We need to make the logical connection that a people who have liberally, abundantly received grace needs to learn how to be gracious. That's what my message is all about today. Being gracious. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, be gracious. gracious. You need to learn to be gracious. The Bible says a gracious woman gets honor a man who is kind benefits himself but a cruel man a harsh man a man who is not so gracious hurts himself there's a lot of christians hurting themselves because we do all struggle don't we in being kind in being compassionate in being gracious if you're gracious you're going to get honor But if you're not so gracious, you're going to end up just hurting yourself. You know, one area in which people uh, struggle with being gracious is with their family members. Oh. If you're an only child, you're probably looking around like, what, what, what? (laughs) Anyone who's had a sibling, you know how hard it is to be gracious to your sister Graces to your brother. Ah. Why is it so hard? It's because we know them so well. You know, we live with them. 
you know, that familiarity breeds contempt, that kind of thing. You know, it's difficult. But nevertheless, God calls us to be gracious to them. So today I'm going to talk about three areas, three ways in which we need to be gracious as Christians. These are not the only three ways that you can be gracious. These are just the three that I like and the three that I find will be helpful for you. So let's begin. Three ways in which Christians need to be gracious. Number one, in forgiveness. In Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he wrongs me? Seven times? And Peter thought he had given a very generous answer. And Jesus said, <laughs> I'm telling you, he's got a sense of humor. He wasn't all like rigid when he said this. I bet you he was saying this with a laugh. Now, nah, nah, man, nah, nah, 70 t- seven times, I tell you, 70 times, seven. And Peter was a fisherman. He's trying to do the math. He's like, what? <laughs> and Jesus was, he was just, look, it was pretty much, and then he told him a parable of the unmerciful servant. Where one servant owed a king millions of dollars. A debt that he could never repay. And that first servant went on his knees and begged for his debt to be canceled. He begged for forgiveness. And that the king was very gracious and kind. And says, very well, I cancel all your debt. You are free to go. Then Jesus goes on with the parable and says, well, that first servant found a fellow servant who owed him just a few dollars. Just imanan, sammanan, just a little bit of money. And that first servant went to the second servant and says, where's my money? Second servant said, please, please, just give me a little bit more time. I need a little bit more time. I'll repay you every penny I owe. And that first servant said, you, you little... I don't know what, I forgot what he said. But he threw him in prison. No, he threw, no, yeah, he threw him in prison. And, wait, let me make sure I got that right. Threw him, he, did he throw him in prison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, he threw him in prison. <laughs> until you can repay everything you owe. Now, what happened was the, the king, who canceled this million dollar debt to this first servant, he finds out about it. And in anger, he calls that first servant back. And says, I forgave you of all that debt. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant for just a little bit of debt that he owed you? And then the king ordered that that first servant be thrown into prison with the tormentors until he can repay everything that's owed. Jesus said at the end of the parable, he said, this is how my heavenly father who loves you, adores you. Sent me on the cross for you. This is how my heavenly father will treat each and every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. That's a hard pill to swallow. A lot of people try to wiggle around that. Oh, I, I didn't see that verse. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. The word of God is living. Even if you try to run away from that verse, that verse will run you down and say... <laughs> This is how my heavenly father will treat each and every one of you if you don't forgive from your heart. You know, this first aspect of being gracious is not optional. 
It is a direct command of the Lord. You know why it is such a direct command? And you know why God, he gets so angry when we don't forgive our fellow brother or sister when we get wronged? I forgive that right now. You better, please turn that off quickly though. 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Hallelujah. I could do it. I could do it. <laughs> That's all good. Forgiveness is not optional. This is an area of being gracious that we must obey for our own good, for our own emotional health. And the reason being is because it is all based on the fact that you have been forgiven of an insurmountable debt. And therefore, God has the expectation that you can forgive someone else of just a small debt. We've got to be gracious in forgiveness. Now, this could apply even just to small things. Let's say you are the manager of a company. And your employees, they show up late. In that moment, you can choose to be gracious in forgiveness. Or you can choose to be harsh. Say, why are you two and a half minutes late? You can be gracious and say, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm late. And you can say, oh, no worries. (laughs) That's what they say in Australia all the time. Oh, no worries. No worries. Or you go to America, no problem. Now sit down. Get to work. Right? You can be gracious. Now, these expressions that we have in the English language, these are expressions of being gracious. No worries, no problems. That's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Is there some others that I'm missing? Right? These are, these are expressions. And I think that's awesome because uh, many of these cultures... It, was, it came out of the Protestant Reformation. So there's, a, there's a culture. It's, it's built into our English language. But on a more practical level, there are times when little things come up. And let me confess. One area that I have trouble being gracious in forgiveness is when I'm driving. <laughs> now, what happens is... The other day, let me give you an example. I'm just waiting at the red light because it's a red light. Now, in Korea, there are some times where you can run the red light, okay? But you got to be very careful. But I'm, I'm waiting at the red light because there is a pedestrian. It's a long, wide road over at Yoido. And the person is taking their own sweet time walking across <laughs> the road. Now, I have no problem waiting for them. Now, in New York City, you just go. You know, you, you, you interweave between the people. You make sure it's safe. But other than that, New Yorkers, they don't mind. They just all right, go, go. All right, you go. All right, I'm going. All right, you go. All right, God. I'm just telling you right now, in New York, you go. But in Korea, all right, you try, you try to wait for the pedestrian to cross first. That's just generally accepted norm here. And I'm waiting. And the guy behind me starts inching closer to my bumper, which I don't mind. Oh, you want to be close? Let's be close. <laughs> And then he starts honking. Bing! Now, in that moment, as a Christian, 
as a pastor. It's important that I be gracious with my forgiveness. I forgive you. You don't understand right now that there is a pedestrian crossing the street. And you know what? You know what? I, I forgive you. That's what I was trying to repeat in my heart. But boy, I was getting a little upset because he kept honking. All right. And now he's in closer to my bumper. So now he's trying to go around me. But because he got so close to me, going around me is about to hit my car. And then finally, he's trying to go around me, but it gets stuck. And I'm just waiting patiently. Just trying to stay calm. But you know what? When I'm on the road, I, I admit, man, it's, it's tough to be gracious with my forgiveness because there are some, there's a lot of bad drivers out there. There's a lot of impatient drivers, especially in the city of Seoul. But you know what? We need to learn how to be gracious with our forgiveness. I forgive you. I forgive you again. I need to get out the car and tell him I forgive him. You know, let me confess, all right? Let me confess. Let me confess. I struggle with road rage a little bit. Okay? I struggle a little bit. Now, in the city of Philadelphia, let me give you a little bit of advice. If you ever drive in the city of Philadelphia, you need to control your road rage because people get shot. Okay? So that's, that's just no-brainer. When I'm in Philly, I'm calm. I forgive everybody. <laughs> But man, up in New York City, up in New Jersey, man, I just got into this like culture of like inch for inch, eye for eye, just like, you know, not letting nobody cut me out, cut me off, whatever. Like, I just, you know, if somebody cuts me off, then I go to the next red light, I rev up my engine, I try to cut them off, you know? And I didn't even have a really nice car. And I had this like beat up 88 Toyota Celica one time, and on 14th Street near Union Square, I raced this guy because this guy kept on getting on my nerves. And I had three, four, I had four college students in, in the car. <laughs> I was a uh, Canvas Crusade staff at that time. <laughs> but boy, this boy was getting on my nerves. And he had this nice, fancy car. I was like, all right, all right, you want to go? Let's go, let's go. And I, just, I raced him, and I felt so good after. <laughs> you know, I told you the Celica had a GT engine. So I, was, I was a little surprised how, how I beat this guy with a nicer car. But anyway... I have a little problem with road rage, and I carry that over to Korea. I'm sorry, I carried it over to Korea. And I was certain that when I got married, I would calm down. But it didn't quite happen like that. So I remember a few times where somebody, like, won't give me the right away. You know, it's clearly I need to go in, and they just, you know, they, they do this. They move like an inch, but they go, to get that inch. Oh, you want to play that? Yeah, yo, what's up? And I remember this one time, I was going up the Sangakji Bridge, right? And this homie, he comes all up in my space, and it's a two-lane bridge. And he comes right into the middle in order to overtake me. And I was like, no, we're going to do this. And I, I thought easily I could overtake him, but he was going inch for inch like this. And there was another car coming on the other side. 
And Aaron started freaking out, honey, stop, stop, what are you doing, stop, you know? And I was like, no, honey, no, no, I got to do it. Please forgive me later. She physically had to restrain me. And then when I got to the next red light, I was thinking, man, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? I looked over at her. And she looked scared. <laughs> it was one of the worst, worst world rages she's ever seen. She's seen a few, but man, this is one of the worst. And she would just look scared. You remember uh, the movie Great Gatsby? And where um, uh, Gatsby, he goes crazy in the hotel. And then he looks at Daisy, and Daisy looks scared. That's the same look that was on Aaron Pastor's <laughs> face. I said, no, baby, don't, don't worry. It's me. It's me. <laughs> or, or, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. You just got to... God's healing me. Don't worry. <laughs> How many times should you forgive your brother? 70 times 7. That means as many. You got to think not 70 times 7. Okay, 490. <laughs> 491. Oh, you're going to get it. It's gotta, you got to understand. Jesus said that to a fisherman. That just, see, that just means <laughs> as many times. As is necessary, as many times as you are wronged, you are to forgive. Be gracious in forgiveness. But here's the trip. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes further. Scandalously further. And he says, don't only be gracious in your forgiveness. But check this out. Matthew 5.43. Jesus not only talks about being gracious and forgiveness, but he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek. Dodge the next slap. Now I'm just going to turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, Let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And the people are like, what? What kind of teaching is that? And it's not that Jesus is like, care not for justice. If somebody just wrongs you, let them walk all over you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there's going to be injustice in the world. But you have a choice to make. You can respond with being gracious. And that response can actually have a transforming effect. But whether it does or it doesn't. You got to learn how to be gracious. Jesus actually said this. He said it has to do with reward. So I like this. In Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.46. He says, if you love those who love you. What reward will you get? Any unbelieving Buddhist, atheist, Hindu, any unbelieving pagan loves those who loves them. What are you doing that's different from them? You know the God of heaven and earth. The God who sent his only son to die on the cross for you. You need to be different. You need to do more. If you love those who love you, what reward you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? So Jesus says, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. What am I talking about here? Number two, you got to be gracious in blessing people. I'm cool with forgiveness, but I don't know about blessing somebody. Well, here you go. You want the reward? You got to choose to act in faith and bless others. Be gracious in blessing. Isn't this what it's all about? If somebody asks you to go one mile, go with him too. You know, so somebody got some grocery bags and they're like this and, and you know, they're all struggling. And you come up and you say, can I offer you a hand? And the person says, yeah, could you just help me out to that corner? All right. And then you go, all right, I hope you out to that corner. You carry them bags, right? And you get to the corner. All right, peace out. Good luck. <laughs> you know, if that's our attitude and the person still has like three blocks to go, what good is that? Right? Now, if the person only asked you to go that far, right? Yeah, that's the minimum you do. But Jesus says, do more than the minimum. Be gracious in blessing the person who asked you. The next logical step after forgiveness is blessing. And I know this is hard to do. This is hard to do. Jesus knows that. But he still, he taught us, you want your reward? You learn to be gracious with your blessings. Be, be a blessing. Be a, bless others. Be gracious in blessing others. Now, how can we do this? It's practical. All right, let's go practical. One way you can be a blessing, be gracious in your blessing, is in your finances. Right? So, let's say somebody is support raising for a living. I won't say who that somebody is. But let's say they work for a college ministry at a local church in Korea. And you know that they support raise for a living. And so one day they come up to you and you just got a raise. You're like, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Christian, for praying for me. Because right after you prayed for me, I went into the manager's office and the manager said, oh, I feel good today. I don't know why I feel good, but you got a raise. <laughs> said it just like that. And all of a sudden I'm out the door. I got a raise. Hallelujah. For the grace of God, the favor of God is on me. Oh, yeah. And then somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I support raise for a living for me to do this college ministry. I need to support raise. I was wondering if you could support me or partner with me just like $50 a month or maybe even 100000 a month. And you, and you go, well, uh, you know, let, me, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Or you go, man, you know what? I give too much offering already. I'm sorry, but I can't. Or you, you just say, you know what? You know what? Why, can you ask somebody else? All right, what? What kind of attitude is that when if you believe that the reason you got the promotion was by the grace of God and you have received grace, but you can't extend grace. You love being blessed, but you don't want to be a blessing. You know what that is? It's like a little, little three-year-old. Mine, 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 mine. Right? I think around three or four years old, children, they can learn how to share. But some children, they don't ever learn how to share. Some adults, they still don't know how to share. Remember when I talked about the word koinonia in the Greek? Fellowship, it means to share. Not only 
time or a meal, but it's to share holistically. Even your financial resources for somebody else in the community that might not be doing so financially well. God has created it in such a way that he doesn't give in this room of 250 people. He doesn't give everybody the same income job you notice. If God is a communist, if God is all about utilitarianism and he's all about equality, he would give everybody in this room the same income job. But he doesn't do that. Some of you, you work at the same hagwon, do the same amount of work, but the other person still gets paid more. And that person is tempted to think, well, it's because I'm better and I'm smarter. No, it might be just because God does this to... See if the people, the covenant community of God, will distribute that wealth in such a way that the ones that have an abundance are helping to provide for those who are in crisis. It's the reason why God doesn't give everybody the same paying job. You're not there for you to just enjoy the blessings. You're also there to dispense those blessings. So finances is, is, is in one way. Another way that most people don't think about Jesus pointed this out in the Sermon on the Mount. Is in your greetings. Be gracious in blessing people with your greetings. Now, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. You know why? Because when I was growing up on the streets of Philly, if you greet somebody, you might start a fight. Because I'll just be walking down the street. And I'll be like, how you doing, sir? And I've literally seen people in Philly, white, black, Hispanic, whatever. And they've literally been like, why are you saying hi to me? Do I know you? And they've gotten all grouchy and grumpy. You know, that happens to a, a second grader, third grader. That happens enough times. You don't, you don't want to greet nobody. So when in fourth grade, I received Christ and I started reading the Bible. I started with the book of Matthew. And in the gospel of Matthew, I read this. Jesus said, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And I said, oh no, Jesus wants me to greet people. But he never lived in Philly. Man, I think, man, this is tough. Jesus, please let me go. And so I remember I, I would try to step out and greet people and I would get shut down. Or in my school, if you greeted people, like, you know, you're all gracious with your greeting. You know, people thought you were a loser. Not Really? It's harsh. Urban environment is harsh. You know, I used to sit at the lunchroom, minding my own business. About average of once every three weeks, somebody would come and elbow me real hard in the back of the head just to get a kick. That's the urban environment. Y'all don't know, right? Y'all don't know. I used, to, I, I used to be in the mentally gifted program. It's called MG. They took an IQ test and they found out my IQ was somewhat high. So they, they said, we want, we want you to be in the mentally gifted program. You know what they did to us? They gathered all of us together. And I was probably one of the kids that actually lived in Philly. The other mentally gifted students, they used a fake address to come to my school. Right? And so they were all like suburban kids that are very peaceful. I'm the only urban kid in that group. You know what they used to do? They used to bus us to another public school in Philly. That was far more violent than the one I used to go to. And then they would throw us into the cafeteria for lunchtime after our mentally gifted programs were done. And they would say, go and get lunch. 
And I remember I would walk into that hostile environment. And there were things being thrown around, people running around, elbowing. It was crazy. It was like a, it looked like a food fight was going on at all times. And then we would have to sit together at the little nerd table <laughs> in a school that had zero nerds. And we just used to get harassed, hit violently. People just, man, it was tough. It was tough. So, I mean, greeting, the greeting thing is tough. So, it's, I've, been, I've gotten hard-hearted over the years. So, when I went to New York City... You know, much less the same, except for the people who just moved to New York City. They usually try to greet you, right? And now somebody says, hey, how you doing? Oh, you must be new. (laughs) But Jesus says, be gracious. Be gracious in blessing those around you with with a greeting. You'll get your reward if you greet them. And that is tough in Korea, right? Because it's so easy for us not to greet nobody. Let me confess, on behalf of Pastor Aaron and myself, whenever we get into the elevator in our building, we greet the people who come in maybe about 10% of the time. 20% on a good day. Because you know what happens? Sometimes we'll be like, 안녕하세요, and then the adult just, <clears throat> And then we go, did we not say it loud enough? And then our heart hardens to say, we're not greeting anyone for two months. It happens, right? When people aren't responding back to you, it takes grace to be able to do that, right? But Jesus says, do it. Because of what you're doing, unbelievers do that naturally. But for you to greet people with, with a graciousness, that takes faith. You'll get your reward. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. In in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, the apostle Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. It's very similar to what Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, uh, one, another practical area you can be gracious in blessing somebody is in hospitality. Let me tell you, I have a hard time with this one because I don't have really a gift for hospitality. You come over my house, my hospitality is, come on in. You want something to drink? Sit down. That's it. That's all my hospitality right there. You know, I didn't grow up like learning about hospitality and I wasn't surrounded by hospitality. You know, anytime I went over to my friend's house, you know, I had like certain, I remember my Italian friends, parents, they used to be high on like drugs all the time. You just come in and nobody greets you. Nobody asks you for, you know, for a drink, anything like that. And I, it was tough. So I didn't really learn anything about hospitality. But hospitality is a great way for you to be gracious in blessing people. Let me talk about marriage for a second. How many sisters in here, single sisters, you want to get married? Hallelujah. <laughs> well, here's a, here's a little story for you in the book of Genesis. Isaac's servant got sent to find a wife for Isaac. Abraham's servant got sent to find a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant came to one town. And he prayed to God, God, help me to be successful in this mission. I pray you would help me to find a suitable wife for my servant's son. Lord, I pray that, Lord, she'll be pretty too. (laughs) And, And he determined in his heart, If the woman that I meet 
I tell her, or she offers to water my, or, or I ask, can you help me out with my camels? Because he was traveling with all these camels. And if the girl offers not only to, uh, no, no, if he asks for a drink, and the girl not only offers to give him a drink, but also offers to water all of his camels. And by the way, camels drink a lot of water. And girls, you know, skinny girls, you know, they, they have a hard time carrying all that water. If she offers, she's generous. She's gracious in her hospitality. Then I will know that that is the one. Now, Rebecca, she's just chilling, getting some water for the family one day. Sees this dude and he's all hot. There's no air conditioning on the camel, you know. <laughs> he's all hot. And, and she says, sir, do you need some water? Because, you know, she, you know she, she, she's just trying to be nice. And then he said, yeah. And he didn't say, can you get my camels too? He just said, yeah, he just you know, wanted some water. And then she went a step further and says, you know what? Your camels are thirsty too. I mean, them camels must have been thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> camels must have looked mad thirsty because she, she could not ignore the camels. <laughs> They're probably like trying to lick the sweat off her face or something like that. So, you know, I'll water your camels too. And then the servant was like, hallelujah, this is the one. You know, some, some of the sisters in here, check this out. If you will learn to be gracious in your hospitality, that might be the open door for you to find your marriage partner. Hey, hey, work for Rebecca. You know, work for Ruth. Ruth was very gracious with this old man, Boaz. And that was the open door. You know, a lot of women, a lot of women in the church, they go, man, I can't do nothing about my marriage except pray. I'm tired of praying. Lord, you come back soon or hurry up and send the man. Help me here. I wish as a Christian woman, I could, I could step out and talk to a brother and just be like, I'm interested in you. Can you consider that? Can you pray about that? We, we're not allowed to do that because we're not supposed to take initiative. The guy's supposed to lead and all that stuff. So I'm frustrated down here. <laughs> and here's, here, here's something you can take initiative on. Be gracious in your blessing of others. Be gracious in your blessing through hospitality because you never know. That through your hospitality, you might be entertaining angels. You might be entertaining the father of your future husband. You, you don't even know. You don't even know. So I don't know if that helps you, but be, <laughs> take that. <clears throat> and third, third way in which we can be gracious as Christians is in our speech. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. You know, in uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, this is a famous book that my mom forced me to read. She kept insisting that I read it, and I just kept putting it off. Throughout my high school years, I never read it. It was this old book. like It looked like it was chewed up like by rats and... And, you know, went into the toilet or something and somebody scooped it out and rescued it and it just looks, it looks all ratted up. And she was like, you got to read this book. So finally, a little after college, I read the book and I, I tell you, this book revolutionized my life. Not a Christian book per se, but it's a real famous business book. How to win friends and influence people. And principle one 
under fundamental techniques in handling people is number one, do not criticize, condemn, or complain. Do not criticize, condemn, or complain. Be gracious. In other words, be gracious in your speech. Now, I have a problem with this because I love to criticize, condemn, and complain. I'm sorry, but it's just, it's just naturally, it comes to me. I don't even have to think about it. But if you want to walk in the ways of Jesus, you got to learn how to control that tongue. You got to learn not only to not say bad things, but to learn how to say gracious things. You know, the Bible says there is power in your tongue to bless or to curse. You might be like, well, I don't know if I have that much power in my tongue. Well, look at anyone's childhood. And you will find that parents have the power in their tongue, whether to bless or to curse, because they are given so much authority. Whether they're Christians or not, they're given so much authority to raise their children that whatever they say, it has power. In a similar way, we as Christians, we have power in our tongue to bless, to encourage, to edify, to lift up or to tear down. Complain, criticize, make them feel small and belittle them, berate them. Or be gracious and kind and compassionate. There's power in our tongue to do that. Now, the reason why I went one, two, three like this, it's a logical order. Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So if you put the third point first, you're never going to get anywhere. If you think being gracious is just a matter of self-control of your mouth, you're not going to go anywhere. Jesus says the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you really want to control your speech, you want to control your tongue, it's a matter of getting to the source. You transform the source and the overflow of that source will now be full of grace and goodness and kindness. Everybody with me? And so that's why it's important to be gracious in forgiveness. That's a matter of the heart. Be gracious in blessing others. That's another matter of the heart. If you would just learn to think and approach life this way, and approach relationships this way, approach road rage this way, you're going to start to transform the source, which is your heart. And then when you start making efforts to control your speech and transform it more toward a gracious speech, it's going to be a much easier effort. Proverbs 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, come on, that's good. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, Dale Carnegie, <clears throat> there's this one lesson that I learned from the book that has burned onto my conscience. And I feel terribly about it because although this lesson is burned on my conscience, I violate it all the time. And Dale Carnegie, he teaches this in, the, in his book. He says, never, here, here are some of those principles. He says, never say someone is wrong. Respect their opinions. 
Now, I'm not talking about theology and all that stuff, right? If somebody's wrong in there, you got to be like, hey, that's wrong theology, all right? Sometimes we need to speak up. But when we talk about relationship, work relationship, right? He says, never say someone is wrong. Respect their opinions. He goes on to say, under be a leader, here's three things he says under be a leader. Number one, begin with praise and honest appreciation, right? Once again, be gracious in your speech. Number two, call attention to people's mistakes indirectly, right? That's really good. That's really good. And number three, he says, let the other person save face. In this book, he talks about how important it is for a person to have their dignity. That no one on this earth has the right to tear down your dignity. And you have no right to tear down someone else's dignity. Dignity represents a person's self-worth, of their own self-worth. I don't care who that person is, you don't tear down their dignity. That's what Dale Dale Carnegie teaches. Uh, This is um, a famous quote that he mentioned in the book by Antoine du Saint-Exupéry. He's the author of The Little Prince. He says this. He's a famous author and aviator. He says, I have no right to say or do anything that diminishes a man in his own eyes. What matters is not what I think of him, but what he thinks of himself. Hurting a man in his dignity is a crime. Read that again. I have no right to say or do anything that diminishes a man in his own eyes. What matters is not what I think of him, but what he thinks of himself. Hurting a man in his dignity is a crime. I want you to turn to your neighbor tell him, hurting a man's dignity is a crime. Come on, tell him that. You know, similarly, the Bible says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. He who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs eleven twelve. He who is trustworthy keeps the thing covered. Your brother made a mistake. Your sister forgot to go get the laundry from the laundromat in a mostly Dominican Republic neighborhood in Union City, New Jersey. And every time she does that, all the clothes, they never come back. A trustworthy man keeps that thing covered. (laughs) Anyway. Hurting a man's dignity is a crime. Uh, so, elsewhere, Proverbs twenty-two eleven it says, "He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend." Isn't that awesome? You learn how to be gracious in your speech, and you might find yourself appearing before kings, presidents, CEOs. You know, a knucklehead that doesn't really know how to control his mouth. He doesn't, he might even appear before a king, but he won't stay. You got to learn how to be gracious in your speech. 
And so, you know, I, I personally receive prophecy over myself. I remember Brother Michael one time, he came for the retreat like back in 2009. He came. Brother Michael is my mentor from college. He's got this gift of prophecy. And so when he would prophesy over me, it would be really accurate. And I'll just start crying like a little baby. I remember when he visited Korea, we flew him out to do our retreat. He prophesied over me. He said, you and Aaron are going to appear before kings. Was it just you, honey, or was it me too? <laughs> I think he said similar, something similar to me privately and then also publicly. He said, you guys are going to appear before kings. And then when I got to this proverb, I was a little worried. I said, okay, I might appear before a king, but if I don't learn how to be gracious in my speech, I might never appear before a king again. But my wife, she's very gracious in her speech. Now, here's something I got to complain about, though. There are certain people in the body of Christ, they have different gifts. They have different strengths. And so we took this strength finders um, test. Our leadership took a strength finders test about three years ago. Uh, it's, it's by Gallup, I think. And uh, in it, they give you an analysis of some of your strengths. And Pastor Aaron had the strength of positivity and empathy. And you know what my strengths were? Command. She has positivity, I have command. And so, yeah, I got to complain a little bit. Some people, they have a natural ability given by God to be positive and to be gracious in their speech. And for other people on the other side, we got to work hard at it. Seems a little unfair, right? Yeah, I think so. But regardless, this is the way it is. We got to learn how to be gracious in our speech. Now, one thing I forgot to um, define last week was the definition of the word grace. Like, you know, just like a dictionary working definition of the word grace. The Greek word charis. The Greek word charis is trans- it can be translated like this. Graciousness of manner or action. That, number two, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. And number three, goodwill, loving kindness. Favor. These are the ways in which you can define the word grace. Now, in terms of God, we know that grace means unmerited favor, our saving grace, right? And it's also the invisible influence by which God saves us, transforms us, matures us, and empowers us. But when you're talking about horizontal grace, grace among brothers and sisters, it's about that which affords joy, that which is bringing about loving kindness. And goodwill and favor. Now, let me. This message today is not be a pushover. You know, being gracious does not mean be a pushover. Remember, Jesus was full of grace and truth. You know, Jesus, he knew how to recline at a table or flip over a table because he was full of grace and truth. You know, the Christian life is like a tightrope balancing act. We got to learn how to live in the tension of both grace and truth. It's not either or, it's both. If you're the boss and an employee messes up during their first month of work, then you forgive, you bless, you be gracious in speaking to them. 
You have the truth that that person messed up, but you can choose to show that person grace and guard his dignity. But if month after month that same employee is not able to carry out the role that you require of him or her, the truth is that person needs to move on. If you let that person go with grace and truth, the person may not be happy about being let go, but who knows, that, might, that person might be relieved. Because the person might have been frustrated in not being able to carry out his duties. We as Christians, it's not about just being all gracious. It's about living in the tension of grace and truth. You know, when truth is wrapped in acceptance and graciousness, it's a powerful combination. You know, people get whole from the inside out. When you learn to minister to them in grace and truth. So grace. Be shameless about grace. What are you going to do, church, with God's grace? Are you going to hoard it and keep it all to yourself? Are you going to learn to extend it to others? You know, and I did not want to preach this message today. Let me confess. I didn't want to preach this message today. Because you know what? I'm shameless about humbling myself and, and asking and receiving God's grace. But when it comes to being gracious, I feel ashamed. Because when I examine my relationships, when I examine my interactions, when I examine my interactions with my staff, I'm, I'm like one of the least gracious people that I know. Like in this whole room, the irony is I'm probably one of the least gracious in some areas, not in all areas. Some of you, I'm way more gracious than you on some areas. But like in other areas, man, I'm, I'm one of the least. So I have a hard time. I have a really hard time trying to get myself to preach this message. And throughout this entire week, these last seven days, it's been torture. Because every day God has tested me. In, in preparation for this message, he's tested me every day. Like the other day, I went to a wedding. It's a wedding reception. We got there late because of the rain. And the whole room, all the seats were taken except this one, these two seats where this lady, Ajuma, was sitting in the middle. And so I had to go up to this Ajuma and say, Can you please switch your seat so that we can sit together? So I went up to her and I said, you know, my wife is here. You know what she said to me? She said, this is my husband. And I was like, all right. Well, I still would like to sit with my wife. Can you you just move over? She said, well, that's just too much trouble. And I will not mention what church these people were from. But man, I started judging the whole church right there in that spot. I was like, I'm never doing nothing with this church ever again. These kinds of leaders from this church, what kind of people are these people? <laughs> and I'm trying to be, you know, nice and saying hi to people. And then, they, 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 you know, and Aaron's like looking for a seat. You find a seat yet, honey? And I'm looking up. Don't worry. I got this. I got this. And so I said, well, can maybe you over here move over there? So maybe then my wife and I can sit across from each other. And the lady says, I have nothing to do with these people. I don't know them. I'm like, are you guys Christians? What the? So in that moment, I had to like, pause and pray to forgive them in my heart. And choose to bless them. I only got as far as forgiveness though. 
because some other guy intervened and said, I want you to move, it over, move over for him, you know, just do, do him a favor. And so the lady, fine, she moves over. And then we had to sit through the whole dinner with him. And I was just eating my bread like... <laughs> and Erin had no idea. She's like, oh, this is good, honey. <laughs> Earlier in the, in the week, we had a, we, we've, last two weeks at our office, we've had a leaking issue. So all this water leaking out of the kitchen. And so we call our interior design company and they come and they say, oh, it's the fourth floor's fault. It's the floor underneath you. It's their fault. So we go over to the fourth floor and say, we think there's a water issue with you guys. So can you guys fix it? And then they say, oh, okay, all right. So they fix it and then it's still leaking. And so we go down to the fourth floor and say, hey, it's still leaking. I think you, you might need to do some more work. And they say, get out, pretty much. To pass, poor Pastor Myung-ha. <laughs> now I want to go fight them right there. That, that was a test right there. Because I, 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 mean, I, I just want to go down there. and there, It's like some couple spa. I just want to go down there and just go. <laughs> the things that go through my mind. It's crazy. Infected, 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 the water's infected. But I didn't, I forgave, I forgave, I chose to be calm. You know, and I was trying to give, you know, Melma a hug or affirmation look or something like that, but I was so angry, you know, she probably thought I was angry at her or something like that. And so we wait. And then the interior design, we tell the interior design people, and I tell the owner, the owner comes, tell the owner everything. The owner, pretty much, she was pretty nice, and all of a sudden, she's she in a very shrewd way, just put it back on us and says, "It's your fault, so you got to go fix it." So the owner doesn't want to take responsibility. Who's going to take responsibility for this? Nobody. And so we call the plumber, and this is the trip right here. This is the last straw. The plumber comes. Now another interior design company's plumber came. This guy is a lazy punk. Doesn't do nothing. Now that's not a gracious thing to say. <clears throat> I perceive that it seems like he's, he's not working as hard as he should. Anyway, he comes, you know, I don't know what he did. I wasn't there. I was at lunch and, you know, he did some five minute, you know, okay, this is flooded. Okay, this is, you know, this is my kessel. This is, you know, so you got to fix it. And, you know, and I meet him on the way upstairs and then he's like, you got to fix it. You know, I just want, oh, I just want to punch him. So I go upstairs and so we called another plumber. Because he determined that our piping system was clogged. So we call a regular plumber in the area and he comes to unclog it. And he pours water into it and says, what are you talking about? Nothing's unclogged. And so he tries to diagnose it by spending a little bit more time. Maybe about 20 minutes later, Tina comes up to me and tells me he wants 100,000 Korean won just to look at it. You know, like he didn't do any work. All he did was look and knock and look. He wants $100 for that. And so I said, all right, I'll give him $100, Tina. Watch out, watch out. <laughs> and in my broken Korean, I went up to my, uh, 아저씨, 아저씨. 여기, 여기 와, 와가지고 시간 보내고 고, 감사한데. I'm, I'm thankful that you came and you spent a little time on it. 그런데 10만원 너무 많은 것 같아요. 어? 아니에요? 
seems a little much for you to just look at it. Why didn't you tell us that in the, in the beginning? And he's like, well, you know, this is customary. And I thought I was just going to unclog it. I was, gonna, I was ready to unclog it, but that's why I came. But that's why I didn't tell you what the estimate will be. I'm like, $100 is too much. 40 줄게요, 40 만원. So I said, $40 is the most I'll pay. And he's like, no, you got to give me 100. 4만원, 4만원. 40, right? I was being real gracious. I just want to. I'll give you $400. I feel... Very gracious. No, I said $40 is the highest I will go. Man. Now, this sounds real funny to y'all, but man, during the week, I was in pain. I was like, Lord, I do not want to preach this message. Let me just have my way this week and I'll preach it next month. And I knew the Lord was saying, no, be gracious, be gracious. I'm walking over. Be gracious to the plumber. Be gracious to Tina. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to the spa people. Does that mean I can't go down and yell? Be gracious. Anyway, long story short, plumbing is still not fixed. It's still leaking. But through it all, God has been using that situation to show me that I need to learn how to be gracious. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 14, 29. You know, I'll admit, in all of this, I have times in my life when it's very difficult for me to control my anger. You ever see that Adam Sandler movie, Anger Management? I wasn't laughing through some of those parts. Now, look, I generally don't get violent. I've come close. When I was a kid, I used to get violent. You know, but that's just because I was living in the streets. But I've come close, but by the grace of God, nothing bad has ever happened. Nothing has never escalated to such violence where I've been injured or I injured somewhere else. But I would have all these dreams where I would be physically fighting people and stuff like that. And I remember a period of time where I would be in a fight and my arms would be locked and I couldn't fight back. It was like the most frustrating feeling in the world. Like, oh, let me just hit them. Let me at least do a wrestling takedown because I used to do wrestling. You know, I knew how to like, you know, manipulate people's ankles and stuff like that. You know, like just let my arms grow and then these dreams will be recurring. It was like God was saying, no, 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 be forgiving. No, 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 no violence. Walk away. Turn the other cheek. And I was like, no, Lord, please. Now, check this out. I want to say something here. I'm, this is a little tangent, but it's going to teach you something. Anger is not negative. Now, I just say, I got, I got like an anger problem. I got, I got a temper problem. You, you're all judging me like, I don't know if I'm going to go to this church anymore. <laughs> Look, anger is not negative. Anger is not sin. That's a really bad, simple teaching that gets taught in a lot of youth groups. But anger is not sin. Check this out. God gets angry. So are you accusing God of, getting, of being sinful for getting angry? The Bible says he is slow to anger, abounding in love. But the Bible does still say he does get angry. He is slow to get angry. Oh, but when he gets angry, you better watch out. He does get angry. Jesus got angry. He went up in the temple and he went buck wild. 
Anger is not sin. Anger actually displays that we care. In certain situations, if your response is not anger but apathy, there's something wrong with you. Your silence is actually causing you to be implicit in that wickedness. You know, there's this TV show called What Would You Do with, um, what's his name? Quinones. John, John Quinones. Yeah, it's an ABC, I think it's ABC, right? What would you do? It's a TV show where, peop, where they put um, hidden cameras around, like, let's say, a, a restaurant. And yesterday, my sister and my wife and I were watching an episode, and they were at a diner. And at the diner, the scenario were, this is these are just actors, right? The scenario was there was a couple, a black guy and a white girl, and they brought their white parents to the diner to tell the parents, we're getting married. And then the scenario plays out where the, the parents freak out and they just start making a scene and saying, you know, no, no, and just being racist and stuff like that. And they wanted to see what the people in the diner, how they would respond to this interracial problem that was going on. And so in one of the scenes, the, the couple says, ah, oh, they're all smiling. And then they, the actors say, we're getting married, right? And then the father, you know, he's just acting. He says, what? No! And he starts banging the table and the, all the people in the diner turn around. He says, no. This can't be. What about the children? You're too white and you're too black. He says that. And this is in North New Jersey where people don't accept that stuff, that kind of stuff. So people got really like, all upset and stuff like that. And then he kept talking and then he went off to the bathroom and certain people came to comfort the young girl. You know, trying to, you know... And then the, the father comes back to the table and he just keeps going on this tirade of, you know, racism. And one of the white ladies on the, one of the dining sets, right, she gets up and she's like, oh, I've had enough. And she gets so angry. She's like, I can't eat. Oh, give me a check. And she just, she just starts getting up and she starts leaving. But as she's leaving, she stops and says, no, this is not okay. And then she's like in her, in her she got really angry about the racism that she saw. She's like, I'm white, but you know, this is not okay, what you're saying. Now, we live in a different time and age. You need to learn to you know, accept what your, what your daughter is in love. You just need to accept this marriage and it's going to bless you, whatever. You know? she, and, and the whole thing was, when you watch the show, you realize that if anger is not the response, there's something wrong with these people. So they have these scenarios over and over again, and you'd be shocked. One time... There was a guy trying to hit on a girl, and they were actors, right? At a bar in, I think, Long Island. And there was these dudes sitting across from the bar. And guess what? When the girl went to the bathroom, the scenario was that he puts a drug into her drink. And they wanted to see what some of the other guys across the bar would do. You know what the sad part was? Three out of the four guys, they didn't do anything. They clearly saw the drug go into the drink. They see the girl drinking it. And two guys, they egged the guy on and said, go for it. And when John Quinones tried to hunt them down and said, can we interview you? They were like, don't talk to us, don't talk to us. They were so ashamed of what they did. You know, anger is not sin. Anger shows that we have a sense of justice. The foundations of God's throne are justice and righteousness. 
you know, people may even feel comfortable hanging out with Mr. Nice Guy, but people don't always follow Mr. Nice Guy as the leader. They follow people who have zeal and passion, and they're able to stand up for truth and righteousness. Controlled and directed anger can actually motivate the people of God and drive them toward causes like reunification, North Korean human rights, human trafficking. Anger has got a really bad rep. Now, when anger burns out of control, that's when anger gets destructive. Vengeful, reactive anger is very dangerous and can get very violent. Uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled anger is a devastatingly destructive force to human relationships. But anger itself is not a bad thing. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that your, hu- your, your, your husband, your pastor, is not automatically sinful and wicked and terrible just because I got a little anger problem. All right? It's not that I only have an anger problem. I have a passion problem. All right? I'm a very passionate guy. When I see injustice, I stand up. If I was on that show, I'll be up. They're like, what? You, what you, hey, stop that. What you putting in that dude, girl's drink? What you doing? I'll beat you up. <laughs> and on top of this, because of my choleric oriented personality, I come off very condescending at times. So this makes things worse. See, I struggle with, you know, being gracious and, and controlling my anger. But even when I am gracious, I still make people feel like I'm belittling them sometimes. Because I have this, such a goal oriented personality. And you know, sometimes, frankly, I just want to throw my hands in the air and say, what's the use? Being gracious is just so elusive to me. Let me just be myself and forget about this whole being gracious stuff. And this is where Pastor Benjamin's message at the retreat really struck me. He quoted Ephesians 4, verse 17, and he said, Do not follow in the patterns of Gentile thinking. Of unbelievers thinking patterns. Because Gentile thinking leads to futility. And this kind of futility leads to a hardening of heart. And this hardening of heart leads to a darkening of understanding and a separation from the life of God. So, in other words, we got to work it out. Whether you have a natural personality that's very patient and gracious and positive, or whether you are like me, and you and you say it like it is sometimes, and you just offend people, look, whatever it is, we got to work it out. When you feel like you're making no progress, we got to learn how to hold on to hope and believe that we are being changed little by little every day. So don't ever fall into Gentile thinking. Your Christian life, you should never be marked by futility. Because God's working all things out for your good. His grace is always at work inside of you. So even when the devil tries to discourage you and say, you ain't going nowhere, you haven't gotten one bit gracious from 10 years ago, Christian. Look at you. Look at your road rage. It's the same. It's the same road rage. You know, let me tell you a little story about that right now. I think I told this story before. 
I'm way over time anyway. Just stick with me, all right? <clears throat> please, please forgive me. Yeah, all right. Uh, one time it was snowing really bad, and we were at, I was at City Hall with some friends. And uh, I started walking home. And as I was walking home, and I wasn't the pastor by this time, all right? At this time, it was like 2006. I wasn't the pastor yet. As I'm walking home, this cab driver comes right up behind me and starts honking. And so I thought, okay, I need to get off the street, get back on the sidewalk. So I kind of go back, hop back on the sidewalk, and I'm just minding my own business and walking. And he's crawling right next to me and keeps honking. Now, if, you got, if I got this teaching back then, I would have been thinking, be gracious in your forgiveness. Let me forgive him. I don't know why he's honking. I just forgive him and Lord, I bless him. And then the logical conclusion, would, I would have been able to be gracious in my speech and in my actions toward them, right? But I didn't have all that back then. So I'm walking and he honked like three or four times. And by the fourth time, I kid you not, the overflow of my heart. All right, don't judge me here. I flipped him the bird. I just, I flipped him the bird like this. <laughs> and now I know Korean cabbies do not know what the middle finger is. But you know, I was just like, you know what? Stop honking. And what happened was the cab driver pulls up right next to me. And someone in the back of the passenger seat rolls down their window and it was my roommate, James. And he said, Christian? Now, James is a gracious man. He never tells that story to nobody. That's also because I don't tell certain stories about him to nobody. <laughs> but man, and I, I, I remember I walked up to that cab, cabbie, that taxi, and I was so ashamed. I was like, I'm a staff with, I'm a full-time staff with Korea Campus Crusade for Christ. I lead prayer meetings. I preach messages at Columbia University. What have I, what am I doing flipping the bird? And I just try to smile it off. Hey, Jay. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, hey, get in. And so I get in the car. And James is silently laughing to himself. <laughs> I got to land this plane. The people of God must be a gracious people. Amen? Amen? If we are shameless about receiving the grace of God, we also need to be generous in giving that grace to others. I know I'm unqualified, underqualified to preach this message. But I just want to let the word of God speak for itself. Learn to be gracious, people of God. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And we can be 
gracious because we have received an abundance of His grace. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for each and every person in this room. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that, God, that you are so gracious to us. Even when we aren't gracious to others, Lord, it's by your grace that doors open up for for preaching. Doors open up for relationships. Doors open up for promotion and jobs. God, when we really consider it, we are just so blown away by your grace. You're so kind to us. And unfortunately, Lord, the, the natural response to that will be to, to be kind to others, but that doesn't always come automatically. And so, Father, we pray for your help and grace in being gracious. Teach us to be a gracious people, a kind people, a people that will never be found flipping the bird, but a people that will be simply forgiving and blessing and being gracious in speech. So teach us your ways, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.